kids, I notice on the table up here there are gifts. And the only thing between you and the gifts is me. You're about to learn some patience, guys. Especially the guy who took the last Nanaimo bar. I'm going to actually get the kids involved a bit tonight if I possibly can. There are some familiar biblical accounts that we're reminded of, especially at Christmas. Either give me the name of a person or an event somewhere involved in the Christmas account. Who we got? Just speak up. Excellent. That's the perfect answer. Now we have to go beyond that. Who else do we hear about? Did you say Santa? Biblical account? I'm not sure what Bible you're reading these days, but you need to get another one. For example, Mary and the angel. Who else? And the Joseph and the So the same who did he who did he have conversations with in a dream? Remember there was a the great. Parents need to get your children under control. The wise men, thank you. I was thinking of Joseph and an angel. He had a vision, and he was spoken to and given direction by an angel. Uh, do you remember the name of the angel that Mary met with? What his name was? Begins with and ends with real. Excellent. Pick up on that. I've got any other accounts. We've had the wise men. The shepherds, very good. They were doing what? They were out in the fields doing what? Exactly what they were doing. And suddenly there was with them an angel, and we hear the account. All kinds of beautiful stories. I know pastors, every year, they go back through their previous messages and they go, man. What happened I preached on in the last 30 years around the Christmas season? And sometimes they get pretty vague and they find some verse in Exodus 12 or something and try to make Christmas out of it. And we're all wondering, just talk to us about the angels and the shepherds. And Well, I told a couple of people, I told Carl, if I'd have kept going with where I've been preaching, even going through the book of Second Peter, and the passage we would have been in tonight is on the ultimate judgment coming upon false teachers and false prophets. And I thought to myself, Carl, when he gets over, he says, well, by the way, we're going to have dinner, and we're handing out gifts to the kids. We're going to sing. It's going to be lovely. And I said, I think I'll change the topic. So we're not going to talk about judgment tonight. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about generosity, God, and the grace of giving. Talk about giving. When there's giving, there's also receiving. The emphasis will not be on that part. We're going to be focusing on the idea, the attitude we should have when it comes to giving. So we're going to touch a bit on the wise men, the, the magi who came from the east, because when they came, and they shocked Herod, didn't they? Because they come to Herod, who considered himself the king of the Jews, and these wise men came and they said, we're coming to worship the one who is called the king of the Jews. 
didn't sit well with Herod. And we know all the events that took place surrounding the wise men. But when they came, and they came into the presence of Jesus, they bowed down and they worshipped him. That was their intent. That's why they followed the star. They came and they worshipped him. And when they did, they gave him gifts. Probably the most spectacular gifts that Mary, Joseph, Jesus received in their entire life came from these, these magi. And we know that what they gave them, what were the three gifts? What was the first one? Then? And? Gold representing what about Jesus? Him being what? King. The kingship of Jesus. Frankincense. If you think about the temple or the tabernacle, who burned incense in the tabernacle? What group of people? The priests. So it was part of the priestly office represented by the frankincense. And then what was the third one? What was myrrh? When was myrrh used often? At burials, when people died. Because in the East, when people died, their bodies started to stink within a day. And the myrrh would be the strong offended. Well, I'm sure it's the giving of these gifts that we reflect in the giving of gifts at Christmas time. The gifts that came from, uh, came from the Magi. So that's going to be our focus tonight. The giving and sharing of gifts. Happens to be Christmas, a focal time when it comes to gift giving and receiving, but we don't need to just think about Christmas. We're going to think about 365 days of the year. So we're going to consider our responsibility and our privilege when it comes to giving. Well, we'll start with the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, people gave. Now, largely when they gave, uh, they would give something that was called a tithe, representing what percent? 10 percent? Now, the Jews, I'm not sure if everybody's aware, but the Jews actually gave three different tithes. There were two they gave yearly, and then one they gave every three years. There was no choice. You gave your tithe. There were also taxes. There was the temple tax. There may have been other taxes that were imposed as well. Those were compulsory gifts that everybody was expected to give for a variety of reasons. But over and above that, there was something they called free will offerings or just free offerings, where people had the opportunity to give whatever they wanted toward a particular project or towards a particular individual. So I don't want us to think about our giving tonight based on Old Testament legality. I want us to think about that whole idea of being a free will gift, something that God gives us the option when to give and even how much to give. And that, I think, is what we'll see more in the New Testament um, when it comes to the idea of people being givers. In the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a, a couple of verses. Uh, first of all, Deuteronomy 16, uh, verses 16 and 17. Uh, we read this. This is when he's commanding the men to come for those three great festivals every year. And he says, and when they come, he says, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. I want you to ponder just for a moment just that idea of not coming before the Lord empty-handed. But he says, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. We're going to see a number of principles tonight in terms of giving. I'm going to share a number of principles. 
the principles aren't all distinct. There's some overlap between them because, uh, just because of the nature of, of uh, what giving is. But the first one we see in this particular verse, and that is we should always be ready to offer gifts of thanksgiving to God. When you walk with Peter Pickert for more than 10 minutes, you will hear him say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thanking him that he's up walking, thanking that he's out. Maybe it's because he was out with me. Maybe that's what he was so happy about. Uh, but he just, it just flows from him. And he's just, he looks around, he goes, Lord, I haven't thanked you for a while, so thank you. Thank you for this and thank you for that. And that is a giving of gifts. And you're expressing your thankfulness, your heartfelt thankfulness to the Lord. We should never come without being able to present something to the Lord, whether it's simply our gratitude or it can be something more tangible depending on the situation. When it comes to tangible items, we don't give directly to God. We, God doesn't take those things out of our hand. Uh, he wants us to take our gifts and use them in particular ways. And we're going to see what some of those ways are as we look at various verses. But in giving to the local church, for example, we're giving to an institution that God himself has established. He's established it for his own glory. He's established it for the good of his people who come to the church and are ministered to week by week. And also as a method of outreach, a form of outreach to the world. It's a witness. It's a testimony. Our, this church, Providence, is a light on a hill. And people will hear about it. And people can be drawn to that light when the Lord starts to work upon their hearts. So if at all possible, when we're confronted with a ministry need of some sort, we should try to support it, even if the gift we bring is just small. Uh, something that's reflective of our love for God, something that he will be pleased with. Well, from that same verse, I want us to see that the second principle is that giving should be in line with the Lord's blessing to us. Notice what it said there. And shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. So however the Lord blesses us, one of our principles of giving is we need to be ready to share in an with an equal spirit, with an equal spirit of generosity in terms of how the Lord has dealt with us. When Solomon <clears throat> received the Queen of Sheba, when she came from the east, she brought a whole retinue of animals and gifts, lots of largely spices, things that Solomon would not have been able to get anywhere else, things that were unique to her particular part of the world. She presented and then she spent time with him and saw the beauty and the wonder of his kingdom and how happy everybody seemed to be, the servants and so on. And his wisdom, she saw and heard and she said, oh, the half hasn't even been told of, of uh, what, how God has blessed you. And when she left, he gave her gifts. And I like the New King James translation. It says this. It says, he gave gifts to the Queen of Sheba according to the royal generosity. That's a wonderful phrase. According to, in line with, the royal he was a generous man he was in a royal position but he was generous with the things god had blessed him with so giving was in line with what god had given him it displays a good spirit it shows that we're not trying to be miserly we're not trying to be selfish and we need to know as well it's not just money because some people go well you don't need total money uh, there are lots of things people can give that aren't monetary. I'm going to read a passage from Exodus 35. 
you can just listen or you can follow along in your Bible. Uh, Exodus 35, I'm looking to read verses 4 to 9, and then verse 29. And I want you to see a people stirred to give. So Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And then verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. That is a beautiful description of people who have been moved by love for God to give. And notice it's their heart that is moved. God moves their hearts to be this kind of generous giver. And again, a lot of the things they gave were things that had been manufactured, things that people had put together, things that had been woven together. It wasn't just raw materials. It wasn't just cash. There were all kinds of things that they brought um, as, a, as an outpouring of love for God. So there's this generous, generous spirit. There's no hesitation. It was willing. It was joyful. And again, their hearts were moved, I believe, because God worked upon their hearts uh, to be generous. Well, let's shift to the New Testament period. There are examples in the New Testament of generous giving that present us with additional principles. We've seen a couple. We're going to see a number more, hopefully, in the New Testament. So the third principle is this. Personal sacrifice is often a key element in our attitude about giving. Personal sacrifice. Of course, if you had to think of a place in the New Testament where you're going to hear about personal sacrifice and the giving, who might you go to? Who would she be? I'm thinking of the widow and her two mites, as we often remember it, those two little copper coins. Jesus is watching people put in. He's watching a lot of people put in a lot of money. And then he sees this widow come along and put in these two copper coins. And he notices He's someone who not just sees, Jesus always perceives, understands the heart. He sees these particular details. And he says this, <clears throat> all these other individuals, he doesn't say what they're doing is wrong. He just says they've all contributed out of their abundance. They had a lot, they gave a lot, but they still have a lot. Whereas the widow, it said she gave out of her poverty. What a phrase that is. You wouldn't expect anybody to give anything out of their poverty. But he said it was literally all she had to live on. And the Lord commends her. Why does he point that out to the disciples? I think he points it out because he wants to implant in their hearts this idea that personal sacrifice may be required when it comes to giving and giving for a particular need. Now, I don't think the Lord is teaching here that we always give everything that we have. I don't think that's what he's, he's teaching here. But there may be times when we're moved to do so. And if we are, and we follow through on it, then the Lord will bless. The Lord sees. It's something that pleases the Lord. Because we've given something up for ourselves, 
and we've given it over to somebody else. And that is really at the heart of giving, isn't it? If you have a million dollars and you give someone ten dollars, big deal. But if you have ten dollars and you give someone nine dollars, it's a big deal. Even though the person only gets nine dollars. God looks at that and says, wow, that's, that's a great heart you have. You keep that up. So at times we may be moved and have opportunity in our life to be more sacrificial than at other times. I'm not suggesting go out and take your mortgage money and put it in the offering plate. Unless the Lord convinces you that's what you really need to do. I don't think that's a standard practice of giving. When I was at a wedding, <clears throat> you know, we went down to a wedding, the Fager's wedding. Um, down in Texas, down in Houston. We went to their local church. <sighs> Massive church. Brother Bob, Brother Bob's up there preaching. He says, this morning at breakfast, the Spirit spoke to me. And he said, here's what I want you to do when you go in for the offering. Tell all the men to reach into their pockets, pull out those wallets, put them up in the air, reach up with the other hand, take out all the money that's in that wallet, and put it in the offering plate. I'm looking at Mary Lynn going, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and I'm convinced this isn't the first time this guy has done this. I think these guys bring two wallets, right? They've got their real wallet, then they've got their offering wallet. Sometimes there is a movement. Sometimes there is a desire where people just feel compelled to give. That's wonderful. I think the Spirit of God can bring us to that point. I just don't think it's a command in terms of our daily, our daily efforts. So the size of the gift, it's not the essential element. It's more a matter of scale. How much are we willing to cost ourselves to benefit someone else? Number four, meeting the needs of others can be a motivation to give freely. I'm going to read a little passage here from Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Now keep in mind, uh, when I told Pastor Payne once upon a time that I was with the adult class, I was going to do some studies in the book of Acts, he got really nervous really nervous and he didn't quite know how to say Mark I don't want you to but he he taught me one lesson he says Mark you have to understand that some things in the book of Acts are simply descriptive this is a transition time in terms of the church so some things simply describe what took place other things he said are normative they are the patterns that people follow throughout church history afterwards he says don't get them mixed up. <laughs> I didn't do the book of Acts. I think I did something else at that time. Well, I want to see here's a passage that we need to be careful. We don't take out of context and think this is, this is normative. This is what we need to do. Because some branches of the church have done this. They've taken this particular route. And I'm not suggesting that's what we need to do. But for their time, I want you to see the generosity of their spirit. So Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So early on in the church, there is this serious community from those who had amongst those who 
didn't have. And so we're encouraged, I think, by their extreme generosity. They sold lands, they sold houses, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's, that is extreme in terms of being ready to give. But notice how the Spirit is working on these people. How the word is being preached and it says great grace was on them all. And here's a response. Here's a response to great grace is great generosity. So I believe this particular aspect of church life was for the given time. But the principle and that is when we have a chance to be generous, then we need to do so. Number five, using treasures on earth, sorry, using treasures on earth well is a way of storing up treasures in heaven. I often wondered how you store up treasures in heaven. I know how to store up treasures on earth, and we're told not to. Like, don't store up treasures on earth because moth and rust come in and thieves break through and steal and, and so on. But store them up in heaven. I'm thinking, how do you, exactly how do you do that? Well, in 1 Timothy 6, we're given at least one example of how that can be done. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. Here's Timothy talking to rich people. Now, who in this room is a rich person? Get your hands up. Worldwide, we are part of the 1% of the world. Everybody else looks at us and we are rich. Rich is relative, I understand that, because someone always has more. I happen to know that a certain basketball team, all their players are about $500,000 richer today after winning the in-season tournament yesterday. But we won't dwell on that, Carl. So look what it says in verses 17 to 19. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of, of that which is truly life. Timothy is being told here that you need to remind the people that the rich people, everything they had came from God. He's the one who blesses richly. That's where the real richness is. God is the one with infinite abundance. And he bestows that on various people, various times, different ways, for different reasons. But when there's wealth, when there's comfort this way, he's saying, what you need to do is you can't depend on that. I can't be resting on a pension as my great hope in this life because we've all seen what can happen to a market. We can all see what happens to the value of things. It can climb, it can plummet, sometimes for no reason that we can understand. He says, don't, don't hope in those kinds of things. He says, hope in God, hope in God. And he says, what you need to do is to do good works. He says, because if you do, he says, you will store up for yourselves as a good foundation for the future. So if you are in any way, shape, or form falling into this category, you find yourself in this category of being rich and being able to share, then we're to do good, and our richness needs to be in good works. Like We have to be the best at doing good works. Now, what makes a work good? It's not because we do it. It's because we're doing it First and foremost, for the Lord Jesus, for his glory and his honor. We're doing it to try to help other people, help ministries, whatever it might be. We're trying to glorify and honor God in terms of the things we do. And if the work is provided to us, these are works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. 
He's prepared them for us to do, we do them. He blesses the preparation, he blesses the doing, he blesses the outcome. And then we come to glory and what does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Even though everything you did was by grace and by his power. Well, that's the kind of good works we should be seeking to do. We should be the best at it, better than anybody else in the world. And again, it doesn't just have to be money. It has to be whatever it is God has given us to enjoy. Six, giving should be a regular event. The older I get, the more forgetful I get. Now, some people are off to a head start. Some people are only in their 20s, and they're already forgetful. Well, you guys are doomed, okay? You're not going <laughs> to you won't be able to find your socks. You won't be able to find your house. Have you gone out to parking lots and gone, okay, it's a, it's a dark gray SUV. Well, that narrows it down to about 12,000 vehicles in the lot. And I actually wander. I'm up and down. I can't remember exactly where I parked it on that given day. So, yeah, our memories aren't always that good. We, lean, we need habits. We need things where we, we always put our glasses down in the same place. Have you ever looked for your glasses and they're on your face? Like, have you done that? I can't find my glasses. Oh, there they are. Yes, we, we forget. So habits help us not to forget. And giving habitually is a good habit to get into. So you don't have to sit back and go, did I? Did I give? I, I don't remember. When was the last time I gave? You should have a pattern, a pattern that allows you to uh, remember and not to miss opportunities to bless others. I think the New Testament speaks mostly about giving in the same way that free will offerings are presented in the Old Testament. It's more about opportunity and generosity as opposed to opposed to numbers and rules. There'll be people who disagree with me. I, personally, I don't think we tithe today. I don't think tithing is something. That was something for the Jewish nation. If you do tithe, that's great. But I just generally don't call it a tithe. Let's call it a, you decided you were going to freely give 10%. Because you could give 20. You could give 30. You could give 47 and a half percent. You could. Don't get tied to a certain number. Because the Lord is saying, what type of generous heart do you have? How much do you really want to help a ministry or another individual, whatever the situation might be? In 1 Corinthians 16, 2, just about patterns. Now, this had to do with saving up money for a gift. Uh, the churches in the north were collecting money because the churches in the south were suffering from famine. So they're going to put a collection together, and Paul is saying, listen, I don't want to show up there with my friends and find out you guys didn't collect anything because you forgot. So he says this in 16.2. Um, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Well, I think that's an excellent plan. I don't do that because I get a pension check monthly. So I give monthly as opposed to weekly. Other people get paid every two weeks. Other people, it's a daily kind of basis. You need to just pick a pattern that works for you, but something that is regular so that it's not forgetting. The church has regular needs, doesn't it? The church has bills. The church has expenses. Um, the church has commitments it needs to meet. And they usually come on a fairly regular basis. Some are annual, some are quarterly, but many of them are monthly. Uh, some of them even more than that. 
So to have people waiting until the last day of the year to give money just may not be the best thing in the world to do for a church. The church has ongoing needs. The giving has to be ongoing. So I simply encourage you, be regular. Um, come up with a pattern that works uh, for you. Number seven, uh, supporting workers, pastors, missionaries, other ministries is, uh, is giving in a manner the Bible tells us is worthy of God. Imagine doing something that's worthy of God. It's hard even to imagine we could do anything. God makes it worthy, I think, by his grace. But look at 3 John. 3 John, verses 5 to 8. It's that little letter. It's only a page long or so. That's why they don't have chapters, just have verses. It says this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Oh, there is a lot. I'm just going to mention a couple of points. Because here John's talking about those individuals who have gone out for the sake of the name. These are people who have committed their lives to serving, to preaching, to teaching, to missionary work, whatever it might be, but they've gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus. They don't want to get their money from the Gentiles. They don't want to get their money from the pagan world, the world around us. The support they're looking for is from within the church, from other believers. And John says, you do well if you send these people out in a manner that is worthy of God. So that means we support them generously. We help them generously. We're not just meager and miserly if we can possibly avoid it. As a church, we want to be, want to be gracious in our giving because that's how God has given to us, particularly when it comes to supporting uh, those who have committed their lives uh, to the service of God in these particular areas of ministry. Number eight, it's fairly evident, but uh, I'll tell you anyway, giving simply reflects the generous giving of God. We've learned to give because God is the greatest of givers. And we know that from James 1.17, where he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from God, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If you think of the spiritual gifts, I've got a list here. We've got the Lord Jesus. We have salvation, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, adoption, inheritance, eternal life, heaven, the church, on and on it goes. There are physical blessings that God gives to us. There's family, home, food, health, friends, a local church. There's preaching and teaching. There's the comforts of life. And then the bonus add-ons that aren't really needed, but they're enjoyable. Because God gives us many things that we simply enjoy. So our giving of gifts is good. But it's still just a small reflection of the gifts that God, the great giver, gives to us. Matthew 7:11, again well-known. If you then... He's talking to us. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, Christmas is coming, right? And we're looking to give good gifts to our children. That's great. But he says, how much more? How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Well, God is, he is the great giver. And we simply look to reflect that in our lives. Let's have a couple more. You're being really patient. Gifts aren't going anywhere. Oh, those candies look good, don't they? <laughs> Maybe we should take a break. No, we won't take a break. Number nine, giving will be a blessing to others. Giving is a blessing to the recipient. Sometimes we forget that. 
right? We're so caught up in ourselves being the givers and what that means for us and what that means for our relationship to God that sometimes we forget that it is a tremendous blessing to those who receive the gift. If you've ever been the recipient of a timely gift of whatever nature, then you understand how beneficial and encouraging it can be. Sometimes people are simply watching. Sometimes people are just moved in their own spirit. I think there's some issue, there's some difficulty that family's facing. Maybe I can help out. And so there's something that you give to them, whether it's your time or your counsel or it's food or it's babysitting the kids or sending the parents out on a date night, whatever it might be. Um, it can be a blessing to them. Perhaps you've given to local food banks or you've helped buy bicycles for pastors in India or you've packed a shoebox right, uh, for a child somewhere in the world or even taken a supply of used clothing to a mission thrift store or left a monetary gift for someone in need. Those on the receiving end are blessed and will then, or we trust in the future, have opportunity to thank God as the ultimate source of that gift. We are the channel, and it's the Lord who is generous, and he's the one who makes us generous. Number 10, giving provides a blessing to our own souls. This is the, not really a self-serving, it's just a bonus, right? That when we give, we too are blessed. Uh, I'm going back to that verse in 3 John. He says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So we reflect the glory of our generous God by being generous to others. Especially when we give with the sole intention and desire to help others, that I think brings the Lord's blessing our way much more significantly than if we're giving looking to be repaid. Acts 20 verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. How is that possible? You're giving something away. The other person has it. You don't have it anymore. It's because the Lord blesses. It's something that pleases the Lord. And when the Lord is pleased with our efforts, when the Lord is pleased with the things we're trying to do in his name, it provides a, a greater closeness. It, it can... It can draw us nearer to the Lord in terms of our own personal walk. So do we want to be blessed? Then be a generous giver. It's a promise to those who sow bountifully. They will reap bountifully. And if you sow a little, you'll reap a little. So the Lord says, put in a great harvest. Last one, number 11. We don't give so that we'll receive something in return. I struggle with that. I struggle with that at times. Sometimes you give something and all you want is a thank you. But you don't get it. Mm. You think that at least say thank you. Wow. I'll think about that next time that comes up. It doesn't take much to make us a little bit of bitterness to show up in our hearts, right? Because what we're looking for is we're looking for praise or thanks. Or we're looking for prestige or glory, recognition of some kind. Matthew 6.1 Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And I've got to tell you what an empty reward that is. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the blessing. That's the closeness that comes from God. When we're looking to give, if we can, to give anonymously to things. It's not always possible. I understand that. But where it is possible, perhaps we need to pursue it. The Lord honors humility. The less others know, the better it is for us. We may not think so at the time, but it enables us to be even more humble than perhaps we've even been. There's no room for boasting when it comes to giving because everything we have comes from God. Well, a couple of comments just in summary. Just a reminder that what we share generously could just as easily be our time, our ideas, our encouragement, our love, our forgiveness, our abilities, our friendship. As a matter of fact, I think the bulk of our giving is probably not monetary. When we give to one another, it's not monetary. It's in all these other facets. So we look for and pursue opportunities to give of anything we might have. Two, I'm going to suggest that generosity can be contagious. I'm trying to picture that, that command by God to the people in Exodus when the word went out. And people are all around in their tents. Everybody's going to see other people getting up and taking things. Okay, so if you're thinking twice, maybe I will, maybe I'll, oh, okay, maybe I should. Seeing other people give and knowing that other people are giving can be an encouragement for us to give as well. Number three, if we want to be more like Jesus, then generosity will be a hallmark of our character and our behavior because Jesus gave everything, everything for our sake and for our eternal life. So lastly, at Christmas, when the gifts are flowing back and forth, uh, be thankful for that greatest of gifts. I mean, at Christmas time, we, we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate his birth. We celebrate the, the coming of the Son of God into the world. The Father offered his Son to the world that they might believe in him and find eternal life. Well, if that's not you yet, brother, sister, there's a few days left in 2023. We would love to see you come to the Lord bow before him and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, with that, friends, I wish you Merry Christmas.